Hey everybody, this is Dave Broadbeck coming to you from my podcast studio, which is actually in my daughter's old bedroom. Anyway, uh, coming up, Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate uh, Statistics. used to be called Design and Analysis, but that was a stupid name, so we changed it. Uh, I hope you like it. This is for fall of 2019, by the way. And uh, you like it or not, look, you have to know stats. So uh, enjoy. All right, so today I want to talk about hypothesis testing. And again, I know you've gone over this in 2126, but feel free to ask any questions. While it is review, it's review probably at a somewhat deeper level than what uh, Dwayne does in 2126. So there's three things we need to say we have a causal relationship. And if you've taken 2127 or any other sort of typical research methods course, you know this, there are three important things, and I'll bring them all up at once here. We need temporal presence. Causes come before effects. That's how our universe works. Right? If the cause, yeah, the cause is x, and then the effect is y. x has to come before y. If there's a change in a variable, and then there's uh, the independent variable, and then you measure the dependent variable to see if you have a difference. One thing has to come before the other. X comes before Y. Cause comes before effect. Don't get into some woo-woo quantum consciousness bullshit with me. It's just cause effect. Okay? We have to eliminate alternative explanations. Right? This is sort of a classic thing that's dealt with a lot in behavioral sciences generally, because especially when we're dealing with humans, it's a little easier with non-humans. Uh, I shouldn't say that; it's probably not. Uh, but there's some classic examples here, right? The idea of the Hawthorne effect, the Hawthorne Electric Works, industrial organizational psychology kind of stuff that was done geez, almost 100 years ago, where. They were looking for more efficiencies from workers, right? Industrial organizational psychology, which is basically just the man's way of getting more out of the worker. Um, is that a little bit of a communist there? So they come in and they go to the Hawthorne Electric Works, which I think are in New Jersey, and they, they give people breaks. And productivity goes up. Yay, of course, of course it does. Give people a break, find a break every hour, and productivity goes up. They give them a 10-minute break. Productivity goes up. They change the lighting. They make it a little brighter in the factory. Productivity goes up. This all makes sense. Then they uh, eliminate breaks. Productivity goes up. And they make it darker. Productivity goes up. There's an alternative explanation here, which is they're being studied. And people, when they're, as people, when they're being studied, try to help. The demand characteristics of an experiment, oftentimes, I'll tell you something, many of you have participated in intro psych experiments, and I don't know if you like when I did it. The first thing I did when I was sitting with the experiment is I think, what is this about? I wonder what they're really studying. And really, usually they're studying exactly what they tell you. But because you have in your mind that all psychology is deception, um, you think, what are they trying to do? Oh, I'll try to help them. I'll do the best I can. Or I won't try to help them. I'll try to screw with their results because I'm an asshole. Whatever. But that is an alternative explanation. You have to remove that. Now we can do that through 
design. Okay. When I was a blessed as an undergrad, you had to do five experiments in intro If you didn't, you failed. That's just how it worked. Good system. It was you no, know, oh, chance to win a Tim Hortons gift card. It was like, you want to pass the course? Do five experiments. If you miss one, you have to do a big one. I did 13 because I kept forgetting because I'm an idiot. So these two so far are about design. Covariation that as x changes, y changes. That's the thing we care about. That's what we can make decisions about statistically. Okay. So these first two are dealt with using proper experimentalism. And this is true really when you look at elimination of alternative explanations when you're doing an experiment. Doesn't matter if it's with, doesn't matter what kind of experiment, what kind of science you're doing, um, you want to have careful control. There's more care about controls and things on a macro level, I guess, in psychology and biology, for example, than there is maybe in physics. But they still care about those things. Right? Do you remember the, oh, a couple years ago when they said they found uh, some part, they, the transmission faster than the speed of light? It turned out they tried to do the experiment again, and uh, all the equipment was wrong. There's an alternative explanation. Fix the stuff, everything's fine. So we care about these things, but there's a whole other courses that teach you about that. When we talk about covariation, that's where we come in. That's where we as people interested in statistics. When I say we, I guess that's me. I'm interested in statistics. So here's some data that I made up that mean nothing. I don't know what they are, but those numbers are real. They're actual numbers. There are two groups. One has a mean of 66.2, one has a mean of 71.6, standard deviations of 7.85 and 8.56, respectively. Uh, what do we got? N of 5, is that right? Yes, so 5 in each group. So the question now, let's assume we have two groups and we've, uh, how do we deal with alternative explanations, things like that? Well, we treat everything the same except we change what, they, what happened in group 1 and group 2. We randomly assign subjects to groups, so we get uh, the randomization makes. It's the best way to ensure is the wrong word. It's the best way to try to ensure that we have people who are the same in each group, or rats or whatever. Right? So we've randomly assigned subjects to groups. We've then given them different treatments in group one and group two, so cause, and then here we have the effect. Good. So now it's the covariation. Now that's the, the, the piece of the puzzle we're trying to solve now is, are the two groups different? So we have to see if they... If these two numbers are actually different. Okay. And I just use these because they work with the next thing I'm going to say. The numbers don't matter that much. I don't want you worrying about those numbers per se. Okay. So here's a distribution, a hypothetical distribution. This has a mean of 72 and a standard deviation of 8. We'll just move that over there. A little smaller. Here's the question. Could these two sets of scores come from the same distribution? So they're not, it's not because group one and group two are treated differently. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking a more basic question, and it's let's pretend that the world looks like this. 
in the, in the, in the distribution, the graph here, could those two sets of scores reasonably come from those two distributions? Or from that distribution, I'm sorry. So we have one with you know, 66-ish and one 71-ish, right? Let's take a look. Where's 66? It's about there. Yeah, it seems likely enough. 71, oh, geez. Just by me looking at it, I can't even see that one. But just by me looking at it, I would say that there is a reasonable chance that those two batches of numbers, those two scores, both come from that distribution. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. Do you follow my reasoning? Does it make sense what it's Yeah, please. Is it because they both fall within, like under the line? They're in the meaty part of the curve. Yeah. Is, is my feeling on this. Yeah. I mean, and we're, I'm doing this completely intuitively at this point. I'm not yeah. doing this based on any statistical technique. And I literally made up a distribution. I went uh, to a website and typed in uh, 72 for the mean and 8 for the standard deviation, and, I, and that came out, and I copied and pasted it. So you don't, and then this is the thing, you don't ever know that when you're really doing statistics. You don't know what the real world is like, because if you did, you wouldn't do statistics. You wouldn't have to, you won't know the answer. So we never have this information. This is more of a thought experiment, I guess you'd say. We don't have this kind of information, right? Because if one of the means was, I don't know, 32, that's not even, that's way over here. I mean, I would, I would say, no, it doesn't come from that distribution. It could, but the probability of that being the case is vanishingly small. Right? Because what we have on this axis, on the y-axis, is, I don't even know what that is. Probability? Yeah. It's how much, how likely a score is, basically. Just think of it that way. And when things are in this big <laughs> part of the curve, we think they're likely. It's like if I asked you about a coin, and I was to flip it 10 times, and we got five heads. Everybody go, yeah, that's a fair coin. So put your hand up if I got six heads, which you think was a fair coin, out of 10. Six, six out of 10, who said that's a fair coin? Yeah, I think that is good. Seven. You're still comfortable? I'm still comfortable. What about eight? It's getting a little harder, right? Nine? You think it's a fair question? It's not like, right? Well, no, but at least that's every time, right? So oh, yeah. 50-50 every time. 50-50 every time, but what's the probability of getting nine heads? I'm not going to ask you the exact one. It's way to calculate, but don't worry about it. It's unlikely. And 10 out of 10, if I got 10 heads in a row, what would you say, where'd you get the fixed coin? Could I have a fair coin that did that? Yes, of course I could. It's possible. <coughs> it's, uh, let's see, it times T, so that's 10. About. Point oh five times. Oh, that was magic. That'll happen. Out of a hundred. 
this. 0.05, like probability, so five times everyone in that will. You're right, by the way, David. Thank you for saying that, that it resets every time. That's an important thing to realize, that when you roll dice, getting double sixes, you're playing the back end. When you get double sixes, you don't go, well, I'm not going to get double sixes again. The probability of getting double sixes twice in a row is one thing, but that last roll has no bearing on the roll right now. This is what makes statistics hard, because it's independent events. Thinking probabilistically is hard. You know why there aren't any independent events in nature? We're basically, we've been selected. He goes into evolutionary theory, whatever you can. Uh, we've been selected for looking for dependent events. It's kept us alive. Oh, there was water there yesterday. Oh, there's water there. Going to probably be water there today. Oh, saber-toothed tigers hanging out there. Probably should avoid that place. Right? Some guy on the savannah of Africa 200,000 years ago was like, wasn't like, well, it's probably independent events. Because <laughs> no, he's dead. Because there aren't independent events very often in nature. Nature doesn't work like that. That's what makes this hard. And convincing people that independent events even exist is bizarre. You ever have these discussions with people when someone's pregnant? Oh, it was the last one. It was a boy. Oh, this one will be a girl. No, well, that's not at all how it works. I remember being actually at a dinner party and I was in graduate school and, and, and someone said that someone was pregnant. Oh, yeah, you're pregnant. That's great. Uh, what do you think the chances are? What do you think it's a boy or girl? I don't know. It's 50, I would imagine. What do you think? Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, and I, I didn't want to go into it. There are really small facts, but, you know. And this one person said, well, I don't think it works that way. I said, but I know it works that way. And then I become this because I was in graduate school, so you, you think you know everything. Well, you don't, but you realize that there are certain things where you actually do know everything. It's a very small subset of things. And this guy said, no, no, I want to hear her version. I said, no, no there's no her version of math. <laughs> my, my, and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was like, <laughs> So it's hard to think that way, so I'm glad you brought that up. So you could get, you could do it a bunch of times, do a, uh, an infinite number of times doing flips of 10 times. At some point, though, if you keep getting 10 out of 10 all the time, you know, that's a fixed coin. So what I've just done is I've made a decision here, and I think you've all agreed that those two sets of scores could come from that distribution. Again, we don't tend to know that distribution in advance. If we did, we wouldn't have to do statistics. So if the chance is relatively small, and it's, we've, we've, ran, we've not randomly, arbitrarily picked a number, 5%, um, then we see it's unlikely that it's happened by chance alone. And therefore, we have what we call a statistically significant effect. Without statistical significance, we, don't, we can't say that we have covariation of x and y. So we haven't met the third criteria for saying we have a causal relationship. So we either cry or we redo the experiment or we abandon our idea. <laughs> Usually just realize, oh, this is wrong, let's try this again, whatever. Okay, questions so far? So if it's less than a 5% chance, we go, eh, I don't think so. So 
we do is we set up two mutually exclusive hypotheses. You guys know this. We have HO, the null hypothesis, or sometimes called uh, H0. When I was a student, before this was a term, we used to even say HO. We don't do that anymore because people take it away. Because I had a prof that, uh, my first stats prof called them HO and HA. the alternative hypothesis, or H sub 1, you'll see that too, that's fine. 1 says there is no effect, there is no difference, they come from the same population. The other one says, that's not true, <laughs> that's, that's all it says, they don't come from the same population. Okay. So we just set those up. HO is set up as a straw man argument, if you think of this sort of like classical sort of logical argument, right? It's something you're setting up to disprove. You're setting everything up to say that's not true. You don't actually believe it. Because if you actually believed that there was no difference between the groups, you actually wouldn't do the experiment to begin with. Right? Why would you do that experiment? What you tend to believe is HA. The cool thing is, the math doesn't care about what you believe. But the reasoning, right, it's like I said, straw man. You don't believe that to be true. That's bullshit. It's like when you set up a bullshit argument about, with somebody. Oh, so you believe this, this, and this. That trick people do, usually in comment sections. Okay, questions so far? And I know you've ran into this stuff before, but don't feel bad if you want to ask questions. A lot of you haven't taken the stuff in a long time. Okay, good. So, we keep, we're going to make mistakes. The thing about this is we're actually going to make mistakes when we do this hypothesis testing. Okay? There's two things here. There's what we do. We don't reject HO or we reject HO. Nowhere there does it say except HA. It doesn't say that. It says reject HO or fail to reject or you know don't reject or whatever. This is our decision. Then there's reality, which we actually don't know. Because if we knew reality, we wouldn't have to do the experiment. If we knew how the universe worked perfectly, we wouldn't have to do that experiment. But in reality, it's the case that HO actually could be true. It could be that they both come from the same distribution, those two sets of scores, or that there is no difference between the scores, which I just said the same thing two different ways. Or AJ could be true, that they are different. They come from different distributions, or whatever. Okay? So, so you take a look at this. If we do not reject HO and HO is true, we have a correct decision. An example here where you do some test and there is a reality is a pregnancy test. You are pregnant or not. You can't be kind of pregnant. There's HO, you're not pregnant, or HA, you're pregnant. Right? HO. No baby. HA starts saving for college fund. Do not reject HO. I, I don't know what pregnancy tests look like anymore. It's been a very long time. They haven't changed. 
I don't know anything about them. You pee on them. I know that it's about, there's something about peeing. Yeah. And then they either, there's a line that shows up or something now? Yeah. There's digital ones. There's digital ones and they actually sing. Wow. Like if you were pregnant, it's like a little child. But do you tell them in advance I want a baby or not? Because like, because if you want a baby, it's kind of easy. Yeah, you don't want one. That's a central ball work. That's good. That's a product. We should all get together and market. Yeah, just it's either somebody crying or a baby crying. Oh, and it would depend on. Oh, that's very good. Anybody listening on the internet? We're this is now copyrighted. It's gold. So. Not pregnant? Uh, the little line is at not pregnant. No little line. That's what I remember. No little line. That's right. There's a little line. I'm pregnant. Actually, you're not. Those things make mistakes. And if you look on the side, it will tell you the probability of making, in fact, it tells the probability of making a type 1 error. It tells you the probability. At least they used to. I don't still doing it. It's been a while. And there's no chance, there's literally, there's a, there's a vanishingly small chance of beginning to be pregnant since December 17th, 2003. No, yeah, 2003. There was a procedure that day. And I remember the day. Clearly, if not fondly. I need more anesthetic. I said. <laughs> and the guy said, no, you don't. I said, doc. <laughs> no, I won't tell you what I said. I'll, 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 I'll tell you when I'm not recording it, because it's, it's crap. Um, so, <laughs> it was along the lines of who's holding the scalpel and who's being scalpeled. So, that's a type 1 error. And we set that at 0.05. We wouldn't do that for pregnancy tests. We wouldn't want to be. Five times out of 100, one time out of 20, you know, I'm pregnant, you're not pregnant. That would not be a very good pregnancy test. No. Yeah, that would be like, that's pretty bad, right? And they're more like about 99.99 is the number you usually see. So that's 0.01. That's pretty good. Uh, sorry, 0.0001. So that's one time out of 10,000. That's pretty good. Now, it could be that we. Don't reject HO, and HA is true, and that's a type 2 error. That's a false positive. Those don't happen that often with those, they do happen, but again, they don't happen that often. I'm pregnant, or I'm not pregnant, oh, you're going to know. You'll find out eventually. That's a type 2 error. We typically don't know the probability of this. The math isn't set up that way. It's different with pregnancy testing, figure some things out. The problem with false positive. So that's a type 2 error. This is bad, but it's not as bad as, it's, well, you, what's happened here is you've missed something that's there. So you've missed an effect. So there's an actual effect in the real world. And you look at it, uh, oh, I didn't find that. Do the experiment again, you find it. The worst thing that can happen here is someone scoops your research. The worst thing can happen with a type 1 error you publish it is you look like an idiot. Hey, look, there's an effect, there's psychics. <laughs> no, there's not. 
And then finally, there's the thing we all want, which is when HA is true, and we reject HO. We've made a correct decision, and that's the correct decision we want. Okay? That's the one we want. That's our happy correct decision. Okay. We have some control in this situation as the experiment. We set the probability of a type 1 error. We say, how, what, where were we comfortable with when we make these false positives? And we set it at 0.05. The probability of a type 1, whoops, one, one error is 0.05 usually. And that should, that should be equal, but usually it's equal to that. And we call that alpha. The other way to say it is the probability of HO is true given we reject, sorry, screw that up, that we reject HO given HO is true. That's alpha. Okay. The probability that we reject HO given HO is true. That's alpha. One point, uh, one usually one So the probability of a type 2 error, and this is called beta. This is the, the probability that HA is true when we fail to reject HO. Depends on a lot of things. It depends on the number of observations. It depends on the variance of the standard deviation in the population, which we don't know. And it depends on alpha. Right? Because if we make alpha really small, what's going to happen? Well, make alpha small, make it like 0.0001, we're not going to have a lot of false positives. Or false negatives. Pardon me? I don't remember what that requires. Oh, alpha is the probability of a type 1 error. Right? Yeah. And beta is the probability of a type 2 error. Okay, but it says the type 2 error depends on. Oh, yes. On n, which is the number of observations in your study. Okay. Right? And sigma, which is the standard deviation, or you could do sigma squared, the variance in the population that you're drawing from, which is something you don't know. And it depends on alpha, which is something you've set. You've said that you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room, unfortunately. Ridiculous. Because we have this worship of the 0.05 level of significance. It's going away, which is great. But it's still there, believe me.
One minus beta is, a, is the correct rejection given HA is true. That's called power. That's our statistical power. So we want that to be big. We want, and therefore beta to be small. And we want alpha to be small. And we set up. So the key thing here, and we'll have a whole lecture on power, again, uh, probably next week, next. Is it Thursday? Probably. Um, power is something we want a lot of statistical power. We want to be able to detect something if it's there. But to detect something if it's there and not have a lot of false positives, those are competing things, aren't they? Because the decision we make depends on our false positive error type layer. We want that to but we want that, that can be small, we want our power to be big, they depend on each other. So here's a question, what should we set alpha at? And we always say 0.05. Where does that come from? Um, that comes from R.A. Fisher. And we have two biology majors in the room. Who's R.A. Fisher? Elio Fisher. He's the guy who came up with the first kid selection model way before Hamilton. Back in the 30s, he was a bot, I don't know what call him a bot, he's a population biologist, basically. And he also developed a little thing called analysis of variance. The F in F test is for Fisher. Yeah. And he had his graduate students working on doing the calculus to figure out the probabilities of getting different F values, which is doing it by hand, doing the calculus, doing the integral of the, of the different degrees of freedom for the F uh, distribution. Wow, a lot of work. Now, he contacted, I think it was a two, no, it was Frank Yates in the States. And he did this probably by mail because there wasn't any email back then. And asked him, because he was also working on it, what probability uh, level are your students calculating? And Yates replied 0.05. Because you went, okay, and that's where we get 0.05 from. It's two guys making an arbitrary decision. That five times out of 100 is, 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 we'll take that as our level for our type one error. That's completely where it comes from. It's completely arbitrary. And it's because one guy said, what are your students working on? We should collaborate on this because we'll get this distribution, these tables out more quickly than other researchers. 0 0.05, 0.05, we'll do that then too. That's where it comes from. There's not any wonderful, explanation other than arbitrariness. So the reason we get all worked up about 0.05 is because two guys thought it was a good number. <laughs> they could have said 0.04, they could have said 0.06, but for some reason humans like fives and zeros. They eventually also did 0.01, 0.1, and others. So it's solely because of Fisher and, and, and Yates. We might want to be a little more flexible. Think about who, where's an example where you, you don't care about making false positives? Give me an example. Where it's like false positives, we're not that big a deal because if something's there, we want to detect it. Like what? Cancer. 
as possible. But do you, want, do you want to tell people they have cancer if they don't? Yeah. I've heard that, and that makes some sense, but you want them to do the test again. Yeah. What you typically do anyway? Try and get anything. Purpose of cancer. It's along those lines. Think about public health. I'll say like a flu shot works. Sure. Flu shot works about 70% of the time. It's not bad. It's not a bad example. What's another? Like 70% of people actually get the immunity typically to the, to the flu shot each year. About 30% of people get the shot, it doesn't really work. What about testing water for boil water or something like that? Anybody here ever lived anywhere where there's a boil water in your water? Because I lived in Newfoundland. And that was how the world worked. And every spring, there would be runoff. And there was a possibility of getting Giardia. Do you know what Giardia is? Yes. Fever, fever. It's exceedingly unpleasant. And if you're a baby, or if you're a, a, an old person, you might literally have diarrhea to death. Or you can convenience speak. So that's the possibility of the type two, not type two error, yeah, type two error of missing something that's actually there is, oh, some people have to boil their water. So be sure to boil your water for 20 minutes before you use the water. Or, so that's, I don't know, that's a little inconvenience to people. I know people would always complain about this when I look at They'd say, can't believe there's not a boil order. Nor Jesus by it. And they'd say, yeah, but you know, if they miss this, somebody's gonna die. And the inconvenience to you to have to boil some water. You know, so you can have a cup of coffee or live with a tea. It's not that big a deal to brush your teeth. Close your mouth when you're bathing, you'll be fine. Right? Actually, you know, secondhand smoke research, it's never reached 0.05. Never. It's not 0.07. But you know, inconveniencing some people say, you know what, you have to go outside and they roast thing you do, go do it over there. It's better than saying, there's a chance, it's us, it's 0.1, 0.05, it doesn't matter. We wouldn't do that. It's what society is determined is. You know, there's a pretty decent chance that. It's a reasonable guess that just secondhand smoke's really bad for you. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, no, no, don't smoke inside. Don't smoke outside. You want to in your own house for everyone. Right? By the way, the way you solve the boil order thing is once you've lived in Newfoundland long enough, is you just get a filtration system on your own water and you don't worry anymore. Which is a good idea. It's like 200 bucks to install. You just change the filters every couple months. Nonetheless. So those are, those are situations where we're going to say, yeah, look, 0.05, screw that. How about 0.15? That's one standard deviation. One, six, actually. One standard deviation, is, and that was, in fact, what they were using uh, for the boil order test. It was one standard deviation away from the neighbor. There's a whole lot of part of the curve left, but, you know, frankly, yeah, okay, I'm okay with, with not shitting myself to death. I'm cool with that. I don't want that happening. That seems unpleasant. Okay. Where would you go the other way? Where would you be really conservative? Say you go to 0.005. Yeah, go ahead, John. How about particle research? Like what? This is good. So, does a graviton or something exist? If I took yep. 100, 
like quintillion particles in one of them in there. Yeah, that kind of thing. Because is that going to blow the lid off of a whole lot of ways we think about physics? Uh-huh. So if something's going to blow the lid off the way we thought about a lot of things, that's what you'll want to do. So if, here's one. What about, uh, well, anything like that. Like, that says all the world predicts this should happen. Out of all of evolutionary theory, this modern synthetic evolutionary theory says this will happen. And I'm going to try to do an experiment to show that that isn't the effect here, that something else should happen. You better be damn sure you're right. Here's another one. What about saying there is ESP? You better be damn sure that's true. Because you're about to make an idiot of yourself in print. I found ESP. <laughs> Do the experiment again. Yeah, I know you got 0.04. There you go. <coughs> this. Can you try that again, please? Right? And in fact, any good scientist would, if they found that, would go, whoa, that's weird. Let's do it again, Ted. Because I don't want to make a fool of myself. And then what you do is you go back and look at your experimental design and say, there's something else going on here because people aren't psychic. This is weird. The problem is, of course, there are a lot of people in the world who will reply to authors of articles when they have an effect that's at 0.0504. Because the author is honest and reported the PDAP, but said, this fits with all the other with the pattern of, of the results I have and all the sort of theoretical framework I've outlined in this paper, so I'm going to talk about this. And I was told by the editor, do not discuss non-significant effects. And I didn't get angry. Well, I was angry, but I didn't get angry back in email back because um, I was uh, I was in graduate school, probably still. Yeah, when you're in grad, you don't go. I'm going to burn all my bridges right now. You don't do that. It's like okay, I'll just leave that there, and people will see it. And this is what I hope. This is in fact what happened. People would see it and go, okay, okay, that makes sense. It's like I could have run one more day, and it would have worked. More in, right? But you don't do it More and more people are now reporting exact p values and making stronger claims the smaller the p value they get, the, pro the smaller the probability they have in their results of getting a type one error. That's becoming a much more common approach. And if you have a sympathetic editor of a journal, they're really into that. Like if everything is, you know, at point one, let's say, but it all fits the pattern, I'm fine with that. I just reviewed a paper li literally last week for a journal where they had point of, point of, less than 0 0.05 for a whole bunch of things, and they had two results that were 0.06 and 0.07. And I wrote my review, you know, just, you should just talk about that anyway and just say, look, it fits with everything else I predicted in my introduction. My, everything else is fine. Um, I'm just going to talk about this. And it's funny because I was with the reviewers, and then the editor of the journal said, well, he replied to me, he said, no, I don't take that approach, but I see what you're saying, so I'm just going to leave that comment in, and they can do whatever they want. So it's becoming more common that people talk about exact key values rather than talking about 0.05, significant, not 0.05, not significant, commit seppuku.
<clears throat> so the other thing to keep in mind is statistical significance doesn't mean practical significance. Those are two different things. So if something is statistically significant, we take the magical 0.05 level, we're happy. We discuss it. But does it actually matter? If you measure enough stuff, and let's use people because it's easy, enough characteristics of people, you will find some effect. You'll find correlations that are at the 0.05 level of significance in, I don't know, probably the size of your little toe and your score on some aggression level question. I bet you would. But you have to measure 35,000 people, give them the test, and then measure their little toes. Does that actually matter? Probably not. So it can be statistically significant or practically not significant at all. It doesn't matter. Right? There's a very interesting, for example, uh, effect that happens. There's a really interesting sex difference between men and women um, where you have, in spatial reasoning, where if you, this is a neat experiment, by the way. And it fits beautifully with this because even scientifically it's interesting, but practically it's meaningless. So if you give people a line drawing, it looks like this. And you say, draw with, assuming this is down, that's up, that's left, that's right, this is a cup. Draw in the line where the, where the liquid would be, and everybody gets that right. Now you do it sideways, and you say, draw in the line the way the liquid would be. And of course, you know, it's like this, except 30% of women do that. Does that matter? No, women aren't walking around going, I don't understand where that's from. It's practically meaningless. It's, it, it's actually scientifically makes some sense with ideas about spatial reasoning. It's very cool. It's a very cool result. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't trust women to be, I don't know, to carry glasses of water because they might be going, I don't understand. Right? And there's similar results like this with men detecting uh, really simple misspellings. Right? We don't say, well, we shouldn't teach men to speak, because obviously they're idiots, right? We just say, well, okay, so that makes some sense because of the effects of hormones and behavior, blah, 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 but it doesn't actually matter in the real world. It's theoretically interesting and useful. So something can be theoretically interesting and useful, but, but scientifically, uh, sorry, practically meaningless, right? I've talked to a lot of guys to bring behavior with me, the idea of uh, effects of a menstrual cycle on, on, on spatial reasoning in women, and that doesn't mean that women shouldn't drive when they're having their period. Right? It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, I got lost because I have having my period and I have no spatial skills. I'm going to use that next time. See, that doesn't Who wants some Elizabeth Hampson's research? You just give it to the See how that works. Also, you know, I've said this before, it's, that's not an excuse for guys to say you really, you shouldn't be driving because uh, your spatial skills are way down right now. No, in a very specific sense, yes they are, but you know what? Practically, it doesn't matter. So we have to think about that too. It can be scientifically even interesting, like this is, or like these other results we're talking about, but in the real world they're uninteresting. Right? So it's something to think about whenever you, this is sort of the social responsibility of a scientist, and this is, I think, more true in psychology than almost any other situation, sometimes with nutrition stuff too. Um, 
where people will look at results that are done in a lab that makes sense with theory and everything, and they'll try to apply it to their daily life. And this is why you have to be very careful when you communicate science to people. To the general public, not that the scientists, we're all fine, we get it. But when the, when the popular media picks it up and says that, oh, I don't know, something causes cancer because everything causes cancer. Oh, baby causes cancer. Yeah, it probably does. But the amount you have to eat is so large that no one would ever do that. For example, those kind of things. Right? So it's annoying to put things like that in disclaimers like that in a paper or in a, and in fact, it might have been an editor government. It's, it's cool. But yeah, and, and, then, and then CBC picks it up, and then some half witted reporter shouldn't say that, but that's what I mean. Um, <laughs> because I'm talking about science, we're a science reporter. It's horrible. And not all of them like that. There are some great science reporters out there. Bob McDonald, who works in Marx, is amazing. Gets things, he understands things, he understands science. A lot of people who do science stuff don't. You know, like, for example, for a very brief period after people play violent video games, they score more higher, they score higher on aggression scales than people who have not just played violent video games for about 10 minutes. So it's a real fact, and it's not surprising. It's also completely societally doesn't matter. Right? It's like, oh, it's the video games. Then they play everything on video games, right? So you got to think about that. Practical significance and statistical significance are two different things. All right, questions? Good, have a good weekend.
Thanks for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da- uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh- uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcasts, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>